Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Did you know that red raspberry leaf herb taken as a tea in the last trimester has been shown to reduce pain and length of labor, has been shown to reduce the need for cesarean section, vacuum extraction, and forceps, and has also been shown to reduce the need for resuscitation in new babies, which is actually pretty amazing given that this is just a simple herb that grows all around the country, can be easily harvested, dried, and turned into tea. Pretty good stuff. This is Dr. Aviva Ram, and I am here today to talk about one of my very favorite topics, herbs in pregnancy. My background is as an herbalist and a midwife, and those two professions, which some would say are sort of the second and third oldest professions, co-arose for me. And what I mean by that is when I was first studying midwifery, I was also studying herbal medicine. And what I found happening is that so many of the women I was working with who were seeking home births, which is where I was attending births at home, really wanted to stay away from unnecessary pharmaceuticals as much as possible. And the reality is, is that most of the pharmaceuticals that are on the market are not known to be safe in pregnancy. In fact, we get new data all the time in the medical world showing us that things that we thought were safe actually aren't necessarily sort of the big classic sort of screw up that happened in medicine, a big screw up, was the use of thalidomide in pregnant women. And then another one was DES. Both thalidomide and DES were used during pregnancy for prevention of miscarriage, control of morning sickness, and they turned out to be really disastrous medications. Now, the risks of medications that we're using now don't necessarily reach that magnitude. Thalidomide was associated with a severe abnormality, a deformity in the babies that were born to moms who had taken it. Those were these um, flippers, essentially, instead of arms. It was quite tragic. And then women who took DES in pregnancy in the 60s, early 70s, they had children who have increased risk of breast and cervical cancer, and males also have increased risk of testicular cancer as a result of being exposed while mom was pregnant. Those drugs and the consequences of them really shed quite a lot of light on a high need for increased scrutiny in what we're giving pregnant women. Yet at the same time, there are so many medications that are currently in use that either end up getting pulled off the market for use in pregnancy, we're told, oh, we just should never use those, or there's a lot of question around them. So examples include ibuprofen or Tylenol, which have classically been considered okay for use in pregnancy, which we now don't recommend. And then the huge gray area around antidepressants in pregnancy, whether they're safe or not, is just still really up for debate, but they're being used all the time. We know that about 90% of pregnant women who go in for prenatal care will come out with a pharmaceutical recommendation of prescription at some point during the pregnancy for a medication that may or may not be optimally safe in pregnancy and for a condition that may or may not actually need pharmaceutical treatment. We use a lot of drugs for things that require lifestyle 
or simple other forms of interventions in medicine. So that's really important to consider. And this statistic is actually really astonishing that as many as 40% of women in certain socioeconomic groups will actually walk out of the doctor's office during pregnancy with a prescription for an opioid medication. So an addictive narcotic during pregnancy. And this is a huge problem. The addiction of newborns to moms who were given an opiate in pregnancy, and some of those were actually prescribed. So today what I'm going to do is talk with you about herbs in pregnancy, what's safe, what are the big don'ts, and what are some of the herbs that we do know are safe and can be used really comfortably and confidently. What I'm not going to do today is get into all of the recommendations. So I'm not going to tell you what I recommend for morning sickness or for restless leg in pregnancy. I'm going to do those as forthcoming separate podcasts. So stay tuned for those. Those are going to be great quick podcasts that give you just like tidbits of what you can do for this or that while you're pregnant, postpartum and so forth. But today let's talk about herbs in pregnancy. So herbs in pregnancy have been used for millennia. This is, you know, herbs in pregnancy have basically been used alongside foods during pregnancy since time immemorial. Childbearing women commonly experience minor discomforts and the use of herbs and natural remedies for those may actually be safer and gentler than a lot of the -the over-the-counter prescription pharmaceuticals. The problem is, is that little is known scientifically about the risk of most herbs during pregnancy. And it's not because they're not considered valuable. It's because there's not a lot of financial incentive behind doing the research. Most research in herbal medicine happens either when there's a company that sees a potential drug that can be marketed, or if it's an herbal company, they're marketing a product and they have the money to put the research behind it, or someone who's academically interested and gets a grant and does the research the way I did around blue cohosh in pregnancy, which will be a separate podcast that I'll share all that data with you. It was my research project as a medical student at Yale School of Medicine that eventually got published and turned into a monograph for the American Herbal Pharmacopeia. So the lack of scientific proof that herbs work or don't during pregnancy really has more to do with just the lack of research. An additional problem or sort of confounding factor that keeps research on herbs from being done in pregnancy is just the ethical considerations of experimenting on pregnant women. It's not something that can be done. So what happens is a lot of what we know about herbs in pregnancy is either a limited number of scientific studies that have been done on herbs that we know have pretty safe constituents. And so there's no suggestion that there would be any harm. And so pregnant women may be taking those, but even more often, it's what we call retrospective studies. So a group of pregnant women are identified who have been taking something throughout their pregnancy, and then information is gathered on the outcomes of the pregnancy, the health of the baby, and so forth. And I'll share some of those studies with you. Most of what we do know about botanicals in pregnancy, and botanicals is just another name for herbal medicines, same thing, is based on historical information, empirical information, meaning what most people are doing, and observational evidence. So people who are doing research ask people like me and other midwives what our experiences are, or uh, some of that retrospective study is 
asking pregnant women or observing the evidence based on that. And then we also use pharmacologic data. So we know what constituents might be in something chemically, and we can look at the research on those constituents. So for example, blue cohosh has a couple of constituents in it that we know can cause deformities in animals when the mother animal, so if a a cow or sheep has been grazing in a field that has those has blue cohosh or similar plants, it's more likely to be similar plants with this sort of similar constituents growing in it. And then we see high rates of deformities or defects or problems in the newborn, then we can make a connection and then start looking into the chemical constituents of those plants. A few of the problems that have been reported with botanicals in pregnancy when women are sticking to pretty much what are known to be safe botanicals are really more problems in the marketplace. For example, the accidental adulteration of one herb that should be safe with another herb that isn't safe or the mislabeling of an herb. So for example, there was a a case report in the medical literature of a woman who thought she was taking one herb for a certain condition during pregnancy, which should have been safe, but the manufacturer was actually including a completely different herb in the product. So it's really important to know where you're sourcing your herbs from, making sure that they're reliable companies that are doing really good analytics on the herbs to make sure that they know what they're really putting in those products. And my recommendation is in general to stick with some of the medium-sized herbal companies, right? Really teeny tiny herbal companies like the person in your community who's making their own tinctures by going out and harvesting herbs and then extracting them can be fabulous, but they're going to be too small to be able to have the resources to do any of the analytical work where they're identifying the plants that they have and the chemicals in those plants. But on the other hand, some of the very large companies that I'm not going to name, but you're going to find those on sort of the more generic pharmacy shelves, they're able to do the analytics, but they often lack the core herbal knowledge and the attention to quality. So the medium-sized companies that I'm talking about, like Herb Farm, Gaia Herbs, Herbalist and Alchemist, Herbs Etc., Wish Garden, Mother Love, some of these companies that are larger but still run by herbalists, they have the resources to be testing their herbs and making sure you're getting what you think you're getting, but they're not so big that they've lost quality. Or even if they are really big, they have a commitment to that quality because they're run by herbalists who know that you have to have good medicine to have good results. Also, there are some companies like one of the ones I use a lot um, online, Mountain Rose Herbs, has a really high commitment to quality. They have herbalists who are making sure that what they're supposed to be getting is what they're getting. And so they're great for getting small batches of some of the dried bulk herbs and feeling pretty confident that you're getting what what you think you're getting. Now, I do want to say that even though herbal medicine is traditional and ancient and wonderful, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's safe. So it is really important to have a good awareness of what you are using during pregnancy and make sure that there's, that there is safety data behind it and to know what's in the products you're taking before you take them. So just an example is a neighbor of mine who was pregnant 
and constipated, started taking an over-the-counter product from a health food store that was for constipation. And she didn't, she didn't know to ask me, unfortunately. She told me the story later. And her OB had said, oh yeah, it's natural. It doesn't really do anything. If you want to take it, go ahead. And the uh, constipation product contained cascara sagrada, buckthorn, and some other herbs that are not considered safe during pregnancy. And she did actually miscarry, and it was her first miscarriage after two previous healthy pregnancies. It may have completely been a coincidence, but kind of an important cautionary tale. I always find it ironic, too, when doctors say things or anyone says things like, yeah, it's, it doesn't work and it doesn't really do anything, but it's not safe. That, that always, I find kind of amusing. Okay. If it doesn't do anything, how could it not be safe? That doesn't make sense to me. So keeping in mind that lack of proof of harm doesn't mean that it's safe. And the fact that it's traditional doesn't mean it's safe either. There is a really long historical track record of safe use of herbs during pregnancy. And you know, there are different schools of thought on when it's safe to use herbs during pregnancy. My kind of rule, during the first trimester, when baby is still forming all of his or her parts, unless there's a medical reason for using herbs during the first trimester, I actually recommend not at all. A medical reason would be something like the only alternative to the symptom that you're having, for example, let's say you suffer from a migraine or a headache, and the only alternative would be a pharmaceutical that may not have the best safety track record behind it, then it would be reasonable to try something that we know is considered generally safe in pregnancy as the alternative. So for example, that happened with my daughter-in-law when she was pregnant with my grandbaby, there had just been an article that came out in the medical literature like a week before on Tylenol in pregnancy and the risk of Tylenol in a large study, like 60,000 women who had taken it during pregnancy and the impact on ADHD and behavioral movement problems in kids. And there was a profoundly positive effect. So the more Tylenol a woman had taken during pregnancy and depending on the trimester, the more severe her child's symptoms were. So I went ahead and was going to write a blog about it. And ironically, my daughter-in-law was spending the night at my house and woke up on a Sunday morning with a headache and said, ah, do you have any Tylenol? And I said, I actually don't because I don't keep Tylenol in my house, but don't take it anyway, because here's the data and let's try some alternatives. And what ended up happening was I wrote a blog on it that Sunday and got it out right away. And I thought, wow, this is you know, who reads blogs on Sundays, but ironically, um, like something like 7,000 women liked that blog that day. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of women looking for alternatives. And that tends to be the case. I mean, when we look at the statistics on how many pregnant women are actually using herbs or have tried an herb in pregnancy, it's at least 40% in most studies and sometimes as high as 60% or more. And interestingly, a lot of medical practitioners, especially nurse midwives, are recommending herbs during pregnancy and yet have zero training in it at all, which is why I created my course, Herbal Medicine for Women, which trains midwives, doulas, nurse midwives, doctors, massage therapists, whoever's you know seeing pregnant women in the safe use of herbs in pregnancy. And a lot of women take that course for themselves. It's not just about pregnancy. It's about the whole range of women's health issues from first time we get our periods all the way till the last time we get them and some issues that come up even beyond. So basically, I see 
herbs in a range of sort of strengths and purposes. There are herbs that I think of as more like foods, things like red raspberry leaf and nettles, which are just sort of one step away from a dried leafy green herb. They're mostly nutritive. All the way to the other end of the spectrum where you have things like blue cohosh, which are actually toxic, but in small amounts may serve a purpose in pregnancy. In that case, it's getting labor going. And just so you guys know all this as you're listening, there is a blog on my website about headaches in pregnancy, and there is a blog, uh, there are two blogs about labor induction and or labor initiation is what I actually call it. Induction is the medical term. I think initiation is a much gentler term and it has a, a more feminine power to it. So if you are interested or wanting to know more about those, just those are at www.avivaram.com. So I think the most reasonable approach to herb safety in pregnancy is if you don't need it during the first trimester, don't use it. Then take into account the safety of the individual herb and the severity of the symptom, and then decide is a medical approach better, safer, more appropriate, or is an herbal approach reasonable? Now, there are some warning signs during pregnancy for which I don't think herbal medicines are appropriate at all. And I'll just give you a few of those. Any heavy or persistent, any really any persistent vaginal bleeding during pregnancy. If you have an initial outbreak of herpes blisters in the first trimester, you've never had it before and now you're having it and you're in the first trimester or at all during pregnancy. Severe pelvic or abdominal pain, persistent severe mid-back pain that can tell you that you're in preterm labor or in labor. Swelling of your hands or your face, that can be a sign of preeclampsia. Severe headaches, blurry vision, or pain right up under your ribs, that can also be a sign of preeclampsia. If you have any broken waters before 37 weeks, if you have regular contractions before 37 weeks, or anything else that seems like this is just not right, those are not times to treat with herbs. And I think keeping the herbs to when we should be using them certainly is what makes them much safer. And for those other situations, that's when you want to call your midwife or your OB right, or family doctor right away. So when do I use herbs during the first trimester? Well, again, if there's a reason that is better, safer than the medical alternative, and also for nausea and vomiting, because we know that there's safety in effectiveness in using ginger for that, which I'll talk about in a little bit more. And then also I use them sometimes for threatened miscarriage, if maybe there's some cramping, a little bit of spotting, a history of miscarriage, and then that's when I'll bring in another set of herbs. And that's usually something I'm going to do with a, a patient in my practice under guidance. But I do have blogs out in on the internet and information in my book, the Natural Pregnancy Book, and also in my textbook, Botanical Medicine for Women, about miscarriage prevention and therapeutic strategies during pregnancy, if there's one that seems like it's brewing. Beverage teas or what I call nutritive herbs, like I mentioned, the red raspberry leaf. Other ones include nettles, rose hips, spearmint. These are all herbs that contain mostly benign nutritive substances like carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. And interestingly, several studies have shown that these are safe during pregnancy. And so I feel really comfortable with the nutritive teas. That said, there are some 
herbalists out there who are still promoting certain herbs during pregnancy, particularly comfrey during pregnancy, which is absolutely not safe to drink as a tea while you're pregnant. How you use herbs in pregnancy is also important. So that's what's called the forms of administration. And you want to think about basically teas, capsules, pills, powders, alcohol extracts. These are all forms that you can use them in. And which one you choose depends on the herb and whether it can be extracted in water or does it need alcohol, for example, and then how you're feeling. So for example, ginger is fabulous as a tea and it's a great herb for nausea. But if you've ever been pregnant and had morning sickness, you know it's pretty hard to get down too much water if you're feeling sick to your stomach. So that's when you might want to think about using another form of it, like a ginger capsule. But if you're anything like me, capsules are just as bad for nausea. So in that case, I often go to getting creative alternatives like using the tincture as an extract in water or even carbonated water to make my own ginger ale or using something like crystallized ginger and just sucking on or chewing a piece. Or just if you do make the tea, just sip it throughout the day instead of trying to drink a lot back at one time. Now, alcohol certainly is a concern during pregnancy and pregnant women should not be drinking alcohol. However, the amount of alcohol in a tincture is quite small and the and the dose of tinctures is usually also very small. So there isn't any concern about using a small amount of an, or a normal dose, even on a normal dose on a daily basis of an alcohol tincture. Basically, if you think about a one ounce bottle of alcohol tincture, usually at most it's going to have about 60% or 70% alcohol, and then the rest is water. And of that, you're usually only taking about 20 or 30 drops. Maybe with some herbs, it can be 40 to 60 drops at most once or twice a day. So it's an incredibly small amount. Now, most herbs that you're going to use topically on your skin or even vaginally are considered perfectly safe, but you do want to avoid a few of those. And knowing what herbs to avoid is really important. So in the blog that accompanies this podcast, you'll find a list of herbs that aren't safe for use during pregnancy. And those you want to avoid categorically, the exceptions being herbs that are culinary herbs if you use them only as culinary herbs. So an example might be something like sage. If you have a tiny bit of sage in turkey stuffing, that's fine. That's different than taking sage tea or sage capsules for, for example, one woman I knew she was breastfeeding and then she got pregnant and wanted to dry up her breast milk so the baby would stop nursing and she didn't know that it wasn't safe and she started to take sage capsules and ended up with a torrential hemorrhage and miscarriage. So you have to know what you're taking and know what to avoid. But if they're on that list, it means don't take them medicinally, not in food. And then look at the other herbs on that list just to sort of get a sense of what categories you want to avoid during pregnancy. Now, I want to say a word about herbs to get labor going, particularly these last There are products that you can take in the last four to six weeks of pregnancy to ensure, quote unquote, ensure an easier labor. Unless it's just red raspberry leaf, I don't recommend those. The data on the potential risks and harms of using blue cohosh in those last weeks is substantial. And so unless you're using it 
under some guidance or very knowledgeably to get labor going if you're overdue or to get labor moving if you're in labor and you're at home and you don't want to transport to the hospital for, for medications. It's a reasonable thing if you have somebody who's working with you can help monitor baby and you and you or you know what you're doing. But other than that, I really don't recommend those herbs for getting you ready. And, you know, it, it kind of also just raises the point of trusting our bodies. Now, I think that red raspberry leaf is such a harmless, nourishing tea, and it has been used so traditionally for this purpose that I think drinking a cup or two a day during your second and third trimester is a great tonic. It's got calcium, magnesium. It's very health-promoting. It's great for your uterus. And like I said, some studies have shown actually benefits for labor, but that's more like adding more greens to your diet. It's a, it's a sort of simple thing. It's not taking a, a herbs as a pharmaceutical, whereas using those other products really is much more like taking herbs as a pharmaceutical. So that's sort of the way I think of it on a spectrum. Now, there are some great herbs that have been shown to be completely safe during pregnancy, and I want to give you a handful of those and how you can use them really confidently. There are five that I'm going to talk about today, and the first one is red raspberry leaf. Now, I've mentioned it a number of times, so I'm not going to go into all the details. One fun fact is um, that when I was in my early 20s, my great-grandmother, who had already passed away uh, when I was eight years old, I, I knew her. I found out from my great uncle, her son, that she was an herbalist. And I never knew that my entire life until I was already well into herbs. And my great uncle was basically grilling me and saying, why are you using that barbaric stuff that nanny used to use? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, yeah, she used to have us out harvesting herbs all the time up in the country when we were kids. They grew up in New York City, but they'd go up to the countryside. If you've ever seen that movie... What's it called? A Walk on the Moon with Diane Lane and everyone goes up to kind of that Jewish country club. It's a great movie. It's really fun. But that is, and deals with some pretty poignant uh, issues of being a mom too. But that movie is sort of like what my great grandparents and my great aunts and uncles did during the summer to get out of the heat of the city. They'd go up to these bungalows. And it turns out that my great grandmother would have my aunts and un my uncles and my grandmother picking herbs. And the one that my uncle said he most remembered picking was red raspberry leaf. I, who'd have thunk? I was so shocked. And it's so interesting to me to think how these sort of genetic, the genetic knowledge of something can get passed down through generations. Anyway, basically the studies have been shown that if you drink one to two cups of tea in the last trimester alone, um, you can have all the benefits that I mentioned. There's really no major benefit to taking it during the first trimester. And because it is a uterine tonic, I don't recommend it. And the reason is miscarriage happens very frequently. A lot of times it happens without us even knowing that we were pregnant, but I would sure hate for a pregnant woman to start drinking raspberry tea, have a miscarriage that maybe she would have had anyway, and then sort of equate that with something she did or have somebody else equate it with something she did. You know, I'd hate for her OB or doctor to say, oh, well, it's because of that tea you were taking. I mean, what a horrible thing to live with, even though it probably wouldn't be true. And again, there's no benefit. You don't really need uterine tonic benefit. Your uterus is still really small and really condensed during the first trimester. So I usually recommend starting at one cup a day during the second trimester and then up to two cups a day during the last trimester. Frankly, when I was pregnant, I would take like a, you know, a, a small handful of red raspberry, a small handful of nettles or kind of a big handful of nettles 
about a teaspoon of spearmint or peppermint leaves. I'm a peppermint fan more than spearmint, and I didn't have reflux. Peppermint can make reflux worse. Spearmint can too, but not quite as bad in pregnancy. And I would throw all of that into a mason jar, usually with some rose hips, maybe some lemon balm because it's relaxing. I would fill that up with boiling water and let it sit for about an hour and then strain it out and drink it. And it was my pregnancy tonic. It just People would say, what is that green stuff you're drinking, Aviva? And you basically just about a tablespoon or so of the herb per cup. If you're going to use one of the tea bag preparations that's already out there, I recommend two tea bags per cup to really get some strength out of it. And again, you can do that every day. You can do that kind of an in increasing intensity. You can even go up to three or four cups a day in that last couple of weeks if you want to before you're due. And certainly you can sip it during labor. It's also great in the postpartum. Again, it's mineral rich. It helps reduce bleeding and it does help bring that uterus back to nice tone. The next herb that's been found to be safe during pregnancy is echinacea, which is great because pregnant women get colds and upper respiratory infections just like everyone else. And what echinacea has been found to do is prevent upper respiratory infections. A lot of the research used to say that it didn't, but it actually does. It also helps reduce the duration, so how long the cold or upper respiratory infection lasts, and reduces the severity of the symptoms and likelihood of recurrence also. And the typical dose is anywhere from, I, I usually do it in drops or teaspoons, anywhere from about 40 to 60 drops or about a half a teaspoon of the extract. Always put your extracts in water. Don't put them straight under your tongue or onto your tongue. Put them in about an eighth of a cup of water. And this dose is considered safe during pregnancy. And the way the data was studied on this was actually a large group of pregnant women who had taken it all the way from the beginning of pregnancy through the third trimester, who had been getting care through a particular group in Canada, someone went back and looked at all the data and then went and looked at all the outcomes and found that it was very safe and helpful and effective. The next one I've mentioned is ginger and it's the ginger root. The echinacea, it's the root and the top part. So root, leaf and flower can all be used. You typically, if you have any allergies to pollen, stick with products that are just made from the root. Okay, back to ginger. It's primarily used to prevent and relieve nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. The dose that was studied was up to one gram of the dried powder a day. So you can really take anywhere from two to four double O capsules feeling completely confident. I find that again, using the, and that was of dried powder uh, in capsules. But again, if you're nauseated and you have to swallow capsules back, that can be pretty hard. So think about some of the other methods that I mentioned. The other thing about ginger, and this is when you would want to use capsules because you want a measurable amount, is that studies looking at ginger for pain relief have been really encouraging. And up to anywhere from 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams twice a day, so up to a thousand total, would be completely safe during pregnancy. And so a thousand milligrams, that would be a gram, right? And has been shown to be equally effective to ibuprofen and other anti-inflammatory medications for pain, musculoskeletal pain, for example, headaches. So a great, highly recommended alternative if you're uh, trying to figure out what to do and don't want to take Tylenol or ibuprofen or another stronger medication while you're pregnant. Cranberry has been found to prevent and relieve urinary tract infections. Now, there haven't been 
any definitive studies using it during pregnancy, but all the data points to safety. And that is based on my review as the medical director, which is a volunteer, it's an unpaid position for the American Herbal Pharmacopeia going through the monograph, really, we could not find any significant serious adverse outcomes that were associated with cranberry. The usual recommendation is 16 to 32 fluid ounces of cranberry juice every day for prevention or treatment. Now, treatment of urinary tract in pregnancy is a little bit controversial in that, well, it's not controversial to the medical community. The medical community, it's no question. It's treated with antibiotics. But using antibiotics during pregnancy can change your vaginal flora, it can change your gut flora, and so it can increase you to some dysbiosis, some yeast infections, and other problems. Now, until recently, all pregnant women who had more than one urinary tract infection during pregnancy were actually put on antibiotics for the whole pregnancy. That is not something that I recommend, and it shouldn't actually be recommended by physicians anymore, but it probably is still being recommended by some who haven't gotten that memo. And so what I recommend in that case is if you're prone to them, go ahead and add in about 16 ounces of cranberry juice every day. Interestingly, any of the cranberry juices have been found to be effective, even ocean spray, but it's just so full of sugar and junk. I don't recommend that. So get a pure cranberry juice or get a cranberry juice concentrate and then use a couple of ounces of cranberry juice concentrate once or twice a day in sparkling water as a spritzer. Another product and one of my favorite products with cranberry is called Cranberry D Manos. That comes as a powder or in a capsule or pill, and you can take that as directed for prevention. If you have a urinary tract infection during pregnancy, you can certainly up your amount of cranberry juice, but it's going to take more treatment than just that. And there are some risks to untreated or ineffectively treated urinary tract infection during pregnancy, including preterm labor. So you want to really work with your midwife or practitioner on that, and that would be an appropriate time for an antibiotic. All kidney infections during pregnancy do need to be treated with an antibiotic. That can be a medical emergency, so that is a completely appropriate use. Finally, the last herb I want to mention for use during pregnancy is chamomile. And the reason I'm mentioning it is twofold. One is that it appears on tons of lists of herbs that are unsafe during pregnancy. In fact, I think even in my first edition of my natural pregnancy book back in the early 90s, it appeared in there because it it was thought that it was unsafe. But what we discovered was that actually a really potent concentrated extract of one oil, camagiline, given in volumes that you could never humanly consume to mice caused a small amount of problems, but it's not even comparable in humans. And so I wanted to mention it for that reason, because I wanted to correct the misinformation. Chamomile is safe in pregnancy and it's wonderful. It promotes general relaxation. It's treat, it's helpful for insomnia, which is super common during pregnancy and it treats discomfort in the belly. So gas, bloating, constipation, inflammation in general. And typically you can take it as tea, although I don't recommend taking tea before bed if you're pregnant because you already are going to have to wake up to pee and that is not a great thing for your sleep if you're drinking tea that's going to make you have to get up to pee more. So in that case, I recommend a liquid extract or tincture. And what's really nice with chamomile is because it's given to kids so much, a number of companies sell chamomile in glycerin instead of alcohol, which tastes nice. You can take it right before bed and it's really lovely. So I hope 
this podcast has given you just a nice overview of herb safety in pregnancy, given you enough practical advice on sort of when to not use herbs and that we do need to be cautious, but at the same time, an abundant sense that these are allies that we can turn to, that just because there isn't safety data doesn't mean they're safe, but that we still do want to rely on what is known to be safe based on traditional use and pharmacologic studies and animal studies, and that there are some herbs that are definitely wonderful for some of the most common discomforts that we have and concerns that we have, and can even help facilitate an easier labor and birth. I'm so thrilled that you joined me. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for many, many more podcasts on common pregnancy concerns and botanicals, nutritional supplements, things for new moms to keep you sane and healthy and happy and much more to come. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.